Uh, yes. Um, yeah, you can do the intro this time. Podcast spoilers abound. This time for good books and good works. So, this is the real warning. We're going to be talking about... It's going to be a book club today. We're going to talk about other books that we like. Other books is in books written by other people. <laughs> I'm killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're just talking about books we freaking love for some reason or another. Yes, both from past years and present years we're going to see. So we thought we're just going to have some books and We've both read some of them, and some of them only one of us have read, so we're going to kind of, you know... Some of them only one of us have finished. Yeah. It'll mostly be just kind of more of a back and forth, like a long term. I don't know. I don't know why I'm explaining. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) I don't know why I'm trying to guess what's going to happen. (laughs) What's going to happen. Who knows? All right. So the first book... I want to talk about is one that I has been on my radar forever, right? Really popular. But one I only read recently, which is to my chagrin now because it was amazing, uh, is Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I should probably give the author name as well. It's Diana Wynne Jones, I believe. I am going to check while I talk slowly about nothing I could just scream into the mic if you want. Do not scream (laughs) into the mic. Uh, Yep, Diana Wynne-Jones. I'm pretty sure she's British. Don't quote me on that. Not not sure why that's relevant. (laughs) But anyway, this is a really popular movie, uh, Ghibli movie, made about Howl's Moving Castle, and that's also good. Not the same story. (laughs) Yeah, very much its own thing. I like the book better. We're going to talk about the book. So you're going to talk. About I'm going to talk about the book. So it's very much like a whimsical, magical fantasy adventure. And honestly, I don't get enough of that. I read too much serious, like high epic fantasy stuff. And I love it, but I just need more short, whimsical magical adventures in my life it's so good honestly same like a a lot of tv shows growing up back when i actually watched tv you know they would catch people's attention by having the first like season or so you know just be a series of fun short isolated problems that characters have to solve yada yada yeah and then they would slowly start tying together a story yeah and at that point, they would lose me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just here for the first season, yo. Man. Yeah, that's true. Especially, it's hard for TV, though, because it's like, you're not going to see every episode unless you're watching every day and they play them in order. But that's beside the point. Um, that's why I can actually watch Doctor Who, but I can never finish Merlin. Yeah. Also, Merlin's, like, really long, right? Uh, I don't even know. I I stopped (laughs) watching, like, two or three seasons in. Man, I was talking to someone about watching that with them. We are already so off track. (laughs) Anyway, Howl's Moving Castle. Um, It's really apparent really early on this is, like, a magical fairy tale world in that our protagonist... Sophie is her name. She's it's not even how. <laughs> he's another main character, but we're following oh, Sophie throughout. He's in like the whole book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Sophie, um, she's the eldest of three daughters, right? And she's like, it's kind of like meta almost with how she's like, oh, I'm the eldest, so nothing good happens to the eldest, you know? Because in fairy tales, it's always like the eldest is the dumb one. Who's like, oh, I am so much better because I am the eldest, so I'm going to go do this thing. And then they fail, and the middle child's like, oh, I'm better than the youngest. And I'm smarter because I've learned from the eldest's mistake. And then they also make, you know, it's the fairy tale formula. 
So she's like meta about it. And she's like, oh, I'm never going to amount to anything because I'm the eldest. Like, oh, I have these younger sisters and, you know, they're going to be better off than me, especially the youngest. She's going to be like a famous witch or whatever. And it's very obvious that like witch is a profession in this world. Like there's good witches and bad witches and there are famous ones and then just regular ones that, you know, you buy spells from. And it's just very fairy tale at the beginning. And it's honestly really good and like really compelling because she's like, she really just doubts herself for a reason that we all know as the audience is like, obviously that's a dumb reason to doubt yourself. And like her sisters are telling her it's not trying to trick us and be like, oh, this is a serious issue she has. Like she really should be doubting herself for being the eldest. Like the story lets you know that this is her flaw really early on and it really kind of sets up her character really well and Wait, her that arc. her flaw is being the eldest or doubting no it's her doubting herself okay. <laughs> she thinks it's being the eldest right and so you know shenanigans happen and stuff and she gets kind of used by her stepmother and like that her stepmother they work at a hat shop and her stepmother kind of makes her do all the work but then doesn't like let her have any of the reward and her sisters point it out and she's like so kind of settled in having this bad life of like mediocrity that she kind of doesn't care until one day everything gets turned upside on its head because that's just the whimsical adventure thing she gets cursed and she becomes old right they say she's 90 she doesn't actually know but they say she's 90 twice so i'm just gonna go with she becomes a 90 year old woman right and she's like oh shoot like well, I guess what else could I expect being the oldest, you know? <laughs> so she kind of just I'm really leave, the oldest. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of just leaves her job and goes I'm out. I'm an adult now, screw you, <laughs> goes out into the wilderness cuz she's like in shock kind of and you know magical hijinks happens and she happens upon the titular Howl's Moving Castle, right? She's a way out past town and there's she's heard legends of wizard Hal, who eats young girls hearts right like he's a monster i'm not young anymore yeah <laughs> he's like this evil wizard who preys on young girls and like they've all been warned of him in town and she's like well he's not gonna prey on my heart because i'm not young and pretty i'm old and i'm the eldest and so she goes inside because it's cold and she meets like Hal's apprentice who's just some regular kid and she meets this fire demon that's powering the castle named Calcifer, who's honestly the best character. <laughs> Don't have me the fire demons the best. <laughs> I already agree. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like all this buildup, and this is still really early in the story, but there's already a lot of buildup to like, oh, she's going to meet Hal. And then he comes back and he's like this super attractive young guy. And he's like all dressed up like a queen. <laughs> and he's like, so like he just has such a presence right honestly so he's ted Bundy. he's very <laughs> iconic right like you know i don't know like iconic like sherlock holmes is iconic right it's sherlock freaking holmes he walks in a room and you're like this is the guy <laughs> i want to be the guy all right so he's um like this like you meet him and he's not quite how he's been made out to be. He's still kind of like a mysterious and a bit intimidating as a figure, right? Because Sophie's like, I want to stay here, right? I don't want to go back out and wander and have to figure out what to do now that I'm like basically not me anymore. So she really wants to stay, but like she's kind of scared of him and kind of for good reason. Ted Bundy in a fantasy. No, he's not Ted Bundy. <laughs> well, that's how he's been hyped up. It sounds like it is how he's hyped up. Yeah, and so he's kind of like whatever. He's like, "Why are you here?" She's like, "Oh, I'm gonna be like the maid for this place. It's filthy in here, and it is." And so he's like, "Whatever." He's kind of amused by this like random old lady that shows up. It's like, I'm going to clean your house for you, little one. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I guess. And so she kind of has little limited interactions with him while she's getting established, which I think is 
very much to the book's benefit because it keeps him mysterious for a little bit longer. And then you start learning more about him from Calcifer, the demon and his apprentice, whose name I cannot remember for the life of me, which is horrible because he's like a major character. <laughs> anyway, everyone knows who I'm talking about. I want to say Adam, but that's definitely not it. It's probably not it. Anyway, definitely I'm not going to look it up. It. I should be saying less about the plot and get more to the parts I like. So you find out later that um oh i skipped a part i like early on her sisters get sent away to work in different apprenticeships and sophie's like oh it's perfect right they like the youngest is gonna be a famous witch she's off to train with this witch lady and the middle child's gonna be a baker and she's gonna meet lots of men and get married and be happy right she thinks it's perfect and she goes and she doesn't talk to her sisters because she's like oh they don't need me anymore like they've grown up kind of deal because she kind of helped raise them and finally she goes to meet her sister who's the baker and they're talking and her sister pulls her aside and is like hey it's not me it's your other sister right and she's like what's going on and they swapped they used magic to swap their appearances and they swapped jobs because they didn't want to do the jobs they were originally supposed to do. And she's like, that's crazy, but it's just so good. It like all of a sudden her sisters, you know, in fairy tales, it's like the evil stepsisters and you know, every other character other than like the main characters, not as important. And it's like, Hey, these are thinking, acting people. Like they're more active than this protagonist you already like they're like important too which i thought was really cool and it caught me off guard at least i don't know about all readers that was another thing i liked going back she finds out that hal isn't necessarily he doesn't like eat hearts right she's looking for all these hearts and like girls bones and the castle but she doesn't find anything and eventually the apprentice and the fire demon are like he doesn't necessarily like eat their hearts that's just like a rumor we cooked up, right? Because what he really does is he just makes girls fall in love with him and then dumps them immediately. <laughs> he likes Oof. playing the game, but as soon as he wins, he's out. He's not there for any accolades or anything, right? <laughs> That's he, messed up. He's in love with the idea of people falling in love with him kind of deal. But when they do fall in love with him, he loses interest immediately. And he's done it all over the place. He did it to the Witch of the Waste, which is the witch that cursed Sophie to be old. Huh. Which is, you know, plot going on there. But we're not going to talk about that because I like other aspects of the book more. Particularly, I've been telling you all this to get to Hal because he is so good. Like, he's this... Like, he dominates every scene he's in because he's just like... He's Hal, right? He has a cool name. He has a moving castle. It's There's a cool picture of it on the cover of the book. <laughs> he's just awesome. He's a wizard. And he's so interesting. And there's so much mystery around him. And you slowly learn about him. And you're like, maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. And then he has this temper tantrum. Which is mm -hmm. literally exactly what it is. He, um, Sophie like cleans his, he's like all these shampoos and stuff in his bathroom because he's really vain. He has like fancy clothes and stuff. Hmm. And his hair that he dyes gets slightly dyed a different color at the roots back to its like natural red color. And he freaks out. He's like, it's horrible. I can't go out ever again. And he has like this magical temper tantrum where he like fills the whole castle up with slime he almost kills the fire demon by like suffocating him in his slime and they're like are you for real <laughs> sophie's basically like are you for real you're acting like a child and she like cleans him up and like his favorite coat is ruined and he's sad about that and he's like moping around for days and they've got like important work to do so he's like oh i guess i'll do it but he's like so mad about it and sophie fixes one of his other coats and he just wakes up one day and he's got his new coat on. His hair has gone out the full color that it was. It's like almost a pink color. 
And he's all smiling. He's like, it looks good on me. And she's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and she just is like, I can't believe this guy. And it's just so funny. I love him so much. He's so good. Because he's like this big intimidating presence. But then he's, you know, he's angry about his hair getting messed up, right? Mm -hmm. He's got this thing he cares about so much. And he's just a very human character. And I love him so much. If you couldn't tell by me saying it multiple times. And honestly, there's other things I like, and I'm going to cover them briefly, but they're, I just don't want to get like too into the details because this is all still like the first third of the book. And there's a lot more plot stuff that starts happening. Like there's this whole scarecrow thing I haven't talked about. There's mm. a dog dude that I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> and there's lots of other characters. I haven't really talked about her sisters, but they keep showing up again and again, particularly the one that does magic. And so there's this thing going on where there's the king of the nation, right? And he wants Hal to be like the head wizard, right? Because his head wizard went missing recently. So he needs a new one. And Hal's actually, the castle has this magical door again with like the whimsy thing it has this magical door that opens up into four different locations so he's actually has a, a wizard shop in like two different cities and so he's like these two different famous wizards they're like some of the best but it's just him both times <laughs> and so the Perfect. the king wants one of these wizards to become like the next head wizard so he invites him but the king kind of knows it's him and Hal doesn't want to do it because he likes his freedom a little too much. And he just is like, I don't want to get involved in this. And there's like this whole thing where he's been cursed by the Witch of the Waste. And that's a whole other thing that's really fun. It's got like a riddle. And it's like all these impossible things that are supposed to never happen, right? That's when the curse will be fulfilled. But then they slowly start happening one by one, right? Again, with like a very fairy tale esque formula. Oh, the Book of Revelations. What? <laughs> yeah, of like... Um, I'm trying to remember one, like he's never supposed to touch like a mandrake baby, right? Like a mandrake's a plant and they're like, okay, that's easy. You just never touch a mandrake baby. And Sophie finds one and she doesn't know what it is. And she's like, what's this? And it's like in the shape of a baby. And she thinks it's like some cursed baby or something. He's like, oh, it's a mandrake, but it's grown like a baby. <laughs> so thanks for hitting that point of the curse, right? So obviously he hits them all and the curse activates at the climax and it's like, oh no, what's going to happen? But it's just really good. Oh, I forgot another thing I want to talk about. <laughs> the reason I like Calcifer so much is he lets Sophie stay because he's like, hey, I'm trapped in this castle 24-7, right? I'm basically a slave to this Howl guy. He's the worst. So I know you're cursed because I'm a demon and I can sense that. And I'm stuck in this contract. Part of her curse is she's not allowed to tell people about it. Mm. So she just never tells people that, oh, I'm actually young, Sophie, but I'm old. And he's not allowed to talk about his contract with Hal. So he wants her to find out about the contract and break it. And then he'll lift her curse. So they've got like their secret thing going on this whole time. Well, like he's trying to, she's trying to find out about him, but she's not really making it much progress. Anyway that's really good and then you learn more about their relationship and how like like she's always like he, calcifer seems to kind of like how like they're kind of homies as you should stuff. as you should with your friend friendly fire demons who wouldn't want to be friends with a fire demon yeah if i came across a balrog and i was like yo what's up my brother yeah and then it, there's a really funny moment at the end where normally you would expect like, oh, everyone, like her family members and Hal and the apprentice all find out about her curse that she wasn't allowed to talk about the whole book. But near the end, she realizes everybody already knew about it. <laughs> like they all figured out independently, Bruh. like they could sense something or like they recognized her even though she's old. And she's like, you all do? <laughs> And they were all, like, doing their own things. Like, the whole book, they were all working to kind of fix it. And she's like, wow, they all care about me. It's kind of like a heartwarming moment. And then at the end, she, like, 
regains her youth. In the movie, she keeps gray hair even though she becomes young again, which I think is really cool. But I'm pretty sure that's not how it's done in the book. But it's a romance I totally can get behind. Like, at the end, her and Hal are kind of like, yeah, we're kind of a thing at this point, right? Because they have so many good moments throughout the book. And he, like, he knows it's her. And he's, like, you know, he's trying to guide her to, like, break it herself because she's magical as well. She has, like, magic ability, but she kind of, like, is suppressing it. Because, you know, she's the oldest. She's not supposed to have this great life of magic and be a witch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's your quick Hell's Moving Castle is amazing. I didn't do the romance part justice. It is really good, but I would have to get into, like, everything else. I was going to say, you barely mentioned it at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Gosh, it's so good. <laughs> there's there's two other books. I don't think they're sequels. I think they're just about the same characters. I'm gonna be reading those. How does that even work? <laughs> I don't know. Not sequels, but still about the same characters. Just like and other adventures, right? I was gonna say, and the implication is that they're not prequels. <laughs> I guess they're sequels. Like you read Howl's Moving Castle first, but then after that, it doesn't matter which of the two you read. So mm. they're both sequels, but in whichever order. I think. Gotcha. I don't know. Anyway, that's Howl's Moving Castle. Heck love yeah. the characters. I love all the surprising and creative things they did. How they played with the fairy tale genre and the tropes. And it was just surprising every time, even though it really shouldn't have been. And I love that it's about, like, an, like she isn't old, right? But she's in this older body. And she almost, like, feels like old right she kind of gains a little bit of old person wisdom well she's old she's always complaining about like oh, i can't walk that far and stuff it's good it's nice. a lot of fun and Hal's an icon and i love him <laughs> and he throws a baby tantrum over his hair and it's amazing <laughs> anyway that was sufficient i think you want to talk about one of your favorite books? I'll try. I think my throat might be bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> oh. We may have taken a brief intermission, if you couldn't tell in the editing, and there may or may not have been screamo during the <laughs> intermission. That wasn't even scream. That was more like growling. Me attempting to substitute screaming with growling. Yeah. Let's just say there's a right way to do that. You should learn it. Yeah. <laughs> My throat is very hot right now and it hurts. <laughs> well, that's okay. We, we don't need to worry about that. <laughs> you, need uh, a, you need a drink? <laughs> this was full after I did that. It, y'all can't see. I'm holding the water bottle right here. It's like a normal size, but... I downed the whole thing, like, immediately after doing it, just trying to soothe my throat. You can go get another drink. No, it's it's good. It's not going to help. Okay. <laughs> well, Tapestry? The Tapestry! Tapestry! Yeah. Oh, that's, this is a book series I love. It's, it's pretty trope-heavy, but I still feel like it's underrated. Yeah. Especially since it was, like... Obviously, whenever you have some sort of narration, you know, storytelling, it's not going to do the mythology it's based around complete, accurate justice. Yeah. Like, Percy Jackson is where most people know their Greek mythology, I feel like. But, obviously, there's a lot of not... A creative liberties taken. So, I don't know all the details behind... Uh celtic is it would it be celtic yeah celtic mythology uh but it was cool to hear all of it from the tapestry (laughs) yeah disclosure i have also read most of the um, all but the last one of these books there's five right yeah i've read the first four of these books and they were all right (laughs) we (laughs) they were good i just wouldn't yeah. I think... Phoenix likes them more than I do. Yes, I do. And I can understand why they could be unlikable. Definitely. 
we're Warriors fans. <laughs> we understand. We understand. <laughs> we understand liking a flawed product. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's honestly the just the world. Like, I honestly, it might just be the Celtic mythology I'm more interested in. Yeah. Who knows? But put into a narrative like this, that's that's great for me. I should probably actually give some context to that, but basically the idea behind the tapestry is that it's kind of a harry potter situation because the main character max max mcdaniels goes to magic school yeah he goes to a magic school You're a wizard. through through like yeah somebody shows up and basically tells him he's a wizard <laughs> not quite but basically he gets recruited to the rowan academy magic school Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know the cliche. Yeah, but magic we, schools are always so fun. <laughs> yeah, and then it's kind of hilarious the way it goes because you think about all the things like Harry learns at Hogwarts and stuff. Yeah, but honestly, the way the books portray it, I kind of love it and I hate it at the same time. I don't think Max learns crap. <laughs> <laughs> because he finds out very quickly on accident that he's very gifted at um crap i forgot what they call it it's like a reinforcement magic though, right? yeah it's like physical enhancement yeah so that becomes his like thing throughout the entire series is he is just capable of stupid physical feats he makes what was it? One time he just takes a casual running start, makes a jump over a... It's not a gap. It's just like water. Makes like a 15-foot jump. Yeah. Before he even knows he can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very much an overpowered protagonist. Yeah, and that's one reason I could see people not liking it. Yeah. That's... I don't know why. Like, mentally, I don't like... Characters who are way overpowered. Yeah. But I think something about them, I always end up liking them. Just. Yeah, it could. There's definitely a good and a bad way to do it. And I think they actually. He actually does a pretty good job. I think it's a he that wrote this, right? Yeah, it's Henry H. Neff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's weird to me because I just think, like, you know, I tell people, yeah, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. Yeah, the insanely overpowered characters, you know, everything's yeah, too easy for them. And yet, I'm just drawn to them. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe you do like them. <laughs> I yeah. thought about that. <laughs> uh, but then again, there's there's David, who ends up being Max's roommate. Yep. And I've always liked Max more, probably just because he's the viewpoint character, but... Yo, yeah, and David, David is annoying. <laughs> yeah, he gets... Well, he's good... He's good at times, but sometimes he can be annoying, from my memory. Yeah, I guess so. Like, he doesn't explain things. He knows things, but he just is unwilling to explain them True. to people. Uh, well, there's a good reason for that. I think it only says it in the fifth book, maybe. Okay, well. <laughs> do, you, do you want to hear it? What is his reason? Um, so, he's kind of not very trusting. Okay. Or, like, well, not very trusting that and the fact that he has a good reason for keeping secrets. Um, so, crap, what was Elias Bram? That was his grandfather, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, never mind. We don't even need to bother with Elias Bram. Yet. He's overpowered. <laughs> Long story short is uh, David's actually a Cambian, which is half demon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he immediately became cooler in my mind once I found okay, that out. Okay, okay, okay. That's that pretty cool. Yeah. But, anyway, I'm not even, like, saying a whole lot I love about the tapestries. It's a good series. I like the plots. Um, Max gets his moments to be just stupidly overpowered. He He has those moments where he kind of pulls abilities out of nowhere. And then you later find out it's because he's a demigod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Okay, one part I really did like is after they find out he's the demigod, um, 
He's so that means he's got connection with what they just called the old magic, which, as fantasy goes, you know, old magic is always way more powerful than current yeah, magic. Powerful and wild and hard to control. Yeah, and hard to control. That's a good, good way to look at it because yeah. there's this point where he he tries not to let himself like use that old magic because hard to control. Well, there's this point where in order to save everybody he's immediately with he just goes all freaking out for a few moments yeah and then and they're all like holy crap that was insane max you okay and then he's like not even the same person (laughs) (laughs) he's like basically gone blank slate just doesn't even acknowledge anyone he's just it's like i guess the way it's implied is he basically just switched from his normal max mentality to i'm a god mentality (laughs) (laughs) which he he is (laughs) yeah um i at least a little bit yeah at least i mean okay at the the end he kind of is full-blown yeah that's true um where was i going but yeah i love the world of it and especially the main villain Yep, that's where you better have been going. <laughs> I love Astaroth. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> Astaroth, oh boy. It was my favorite part too. He is... Oh, he's such a good villain because... For one, he's he's the kind of personality I love in villains. You know, the very... Um, how, how would you even say it? He's like... He's Sly. like Moriarty, he's right? He's Moriarty, like yeah. Very smooth, very persuasive, right? He doesn't like yeah. fighting. He likes talking, like to an absurd amount. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say he's. I was gonna say. Yeah, Moriarty's a better, better comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh, I just love it so much, though. It's because he, you know. It's very, very strongly suggested, even though he never really does it, that Astaroth is more than capable of just, like, wiping all the characters out on his own. Yep. <laughs> but he never does. No, that's not fun. He even entertains them. Like, David goes out of... Because Astaroth is a demon, or so you think. Um, <laughs> he's technically not. But technically not. But yeah, so David, at one point, goes out of his way to try to summon him to talk to him. And Astaroth obliges. He shows up. He does show up, I remember that. Um, but it's, like, more or less just a mock to <laughs> mock them for trying. <laughs> oh, and it's great. Yeah. I love it so much. He's so good. I My favorite part about him, he's also my favorite part of those stories. Um, is that he's clearly, like, super evil. But, like, I you agree with him, right? He's that convincing yeah. that you're like, he makes sense. Like, you almost trust him at points. And they almost trust him at points. Yeah. If I'm remembering properly. Yeah, there's even a moment where, long story short, Astaroth no longer has exactly the same amount of influence and power he once did but he manages to have a conversation with max i don't remember exactly how and in it he's like yo i'm just saying if you ever need help like you can just say this phrase oh yeah and it gives him a thing too right uh i don't remember <laughs> i might just be remembering he's just like, completely wrong I don't know. But I do remember this concept. Yeah, so he's like, you could just say this phrase and it'll basically put us in a contract, I'll solve your problems, and then I basically get your soul or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Fine print details. Yeah. No one needs those. And then freaking Max starts to do it (laughs) during desperate circumstances. He gets like halfway through the phrase and then David's like, nope, I got a better suggestion. Max, come on, I got it. (laughs) Oh. Good but yeah, stuff. 
Astaroth is just such a good smooth talker, and I love that in a villain. Yeah. Um, but I also like how he is the main villain, but I love how there's a moment where he just kind of, he's quote unquote defeated for a while, like I said, fell out of power. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get like a totally different villain, one that's like completely in the other direction of Astaroth. He's a little more gung-ho, almost psychotic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he is very much willing to take a physical fight, even against an opponent whose weapon he he can't heal the wounds from it. Yeah. I love that. I love that description. Like, they always mention it. I love the consistency of the fact that, like, they're just constantly changing bandages on him because he's bleeding all over the place from all these <laughs> wounds from the freaking, oh, what's it called? Oh, no. I lost the name. It's... Oh! The spear? Yeah. It's a Celtic spirit always is gay something. Uh... Start with a D, right? I have no idea. I I remember it was originally Kuholan's weapon. For some reason, I remember how to pronounce Kuholan's name. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, The spear thingy. Yeah. Basically, (laughs) magical ancient spear only... This ancient legendary warrior, Kuholan, could wield it. Um, Until now. <laughs> yeah. He was called the Hound. And then, yo, Max came. And suddenly, he can hold it. He can use it. He's known as the Hound of Rowan because of that. Because something or other, he might be Kuholan slightly reincarnated or he's like Bloodline. I don't remember. <laughs> One of those two. It has to be one of those two. Yeah, it's one of those two. But yeah, this is like, I don't know, just the world, that that kind of stuff I love. There's a point where he basically goes into like the Celtic version of Tartarus. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty epic. Especially since Astaroth mocks him there too. <laughs> yeah. With the tapestry, I'm always, I'm always hesitant to talk about it because I'm like, am I just remembering it wrong because i read it so long ago and i didn't finish the series and i was to be honest not paying that much attention towards the end i was petering out a little bit but like the demons win right um define <laughs> well like they take over the world other than like that one small area where the school is actually you're right because that is something i do love too <laughs> the the demons in it so, long story short, David and Max find the Book of Life. Basically, you write whatever the heck you want in it, and it exists. Or you can erase something, and it's gone. It, it, like, it never existed. Wow. How did mm-hmm. I not remember this? <laughs> yeah, and that's what the whole... Um, I guess there's technically, like, two battles of Rowan. That's what the first battle of Rowan is over. Astaroth just leads this insane monster army against Rowan Academy, and it's it's pretty epic. Because yeah. then, because you get like characters like Bob. Oh, Bob. <laughs> Bob's an ogre, and he's like, oh yeah, he's the most peaceful, the coolest guy ever. Like, I chilled. He's like the Mister Rogers of the story. <laughs> Even more chill than Hagrid. Yeah, even more chill than Hagrid. And then you watch him, like, try to still defend Rowan while fighting his ogreish instincts, which are very violent in this world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's cool. Like, side characters get a little... get little moments like that. Yeah. I love Bob. Bob. If you don't love Bob, if you read this, like... You've no soul. Yeah. <laughs> Bob's so great. Um, uh, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, but the Book Battle. of Life. Book of Life. It's so epic. It comes down to the point where, like, Astaroth has cursed the... Or somehow a curse was placed upon Rowan and, like, everybody starts falling sick. Except, like, Max, because he's a demigod. He's basically immune to this. So then he's holding off... Like, there comes a point where he gets the army to chase him. Well, chase him. 
He basically bottlenecks them at a canyon or whatever while everyone else is behind him. He's like, just give me the book of life. I'll protect it. <laughs> and to be fair, he does. I think they said he kills like 10,000 vies or something in the process. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but long story short, he uses so much power in that little thing that he just wakes up like in the hospital, basically in the medical center later. And he's like, what the heck happened? They're like, well, you basically murdered a crap ton of their army, but then you gave Astaroth the book. (laughs) I forgot that. (laughs) Yeah. So Max did too. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's what, yeah, that was a cool moment. Um, but Astaroth using the book, he erases like everything of the modern world. Oh yeah. So that's that's how the demons like kind of win in that sense. It, it so it goes from being set in modern times, and we never said that. It's set in modern times, and Astroth just basically turns it into a full blown fantasy world. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was so cool. But and then another detail I love is the fact that. So he erased all this stuff from the Book of Life, right? Yeah. But he tries writing stuff in it. He tries creating stuff, and it doesn't work. Mm. Well, it does, kind of. But it's like, I think the way they describe it, it's mutilated mockeries of what it should be. Like, he tries making a dragon, and it's just this disgusting, you know, amalgamation of things that should be a dragon whatever man that's so disappointing you know the first thing i'd be writing in there is dragon (laughs) yeah um but there's a reason he doesn't because it also mentions this when max and david first get the book david's like holy cow like it's amazing how clear and intuitive this is like the first thing he does is he like writes I don't know, something in the book and makes two little birds that I don't remember if they're important or not later, but probably the first thing he does is like make these two little birds and he's like, whoa, that's so cool. But Astaroth, no matter how hard he tries, can't make something the way he wants it. Hmm. And remember when I said he's kind of a demon, kind of not. Yeah. I think I've explained this to you before, but it's because Astaroth's not actually from that Oh, yeah. Dimension. He's a traveler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that that was one thing that actually was a cool twist for me. I'm like, Astaroth isn't even a demon. <laughs> He's, like, <laughs> actually interdimensional. Dr. Hoomst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. But... Yeah, I've just been, like, rambling about this because I just want to get random thoughts about the tapestry out just because I love it. Um, There's that one scene that made me read the series for three books. (laughs) And then the fourth one as well. Bragarun. I'm talking about the death fight. I don't know if that's the same thing. That's the name he goes under. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He fights as a demon gladiator, and it's awesome. Yeah, Max freaking, long story short, gets blackmailed into gladiator fights against actual demons and it's epic yep it's very cool also i love it because i like how i guess there are consistencies in these series that i like because like i feel like in other books you know killing ten thousand <laughs> buys single-handedly buys are basically celtic werewolves um but like killing that many things single-handedly people would be like oh cool well that battle sucked moving on but like (laughs) max from that point on he doesn't know it for a while but he literally becomes the boogeyman to vise they start telling stories about him like to their children like go to bed or max mcdaniels will get you (laughs) Dark Stalker? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> More foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, man. And I love it, because the first time he meets non, like, non-evil Vyas, yeah. which he didn't know could exist, <laughs> he's, like, ready to just 
freaking whoop them after he goes through the process of figuring out their vies. Because like I said, where they have human forms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. He goes through the process, figures out their vies, is about to just put the whooping down on them. And then they're like, hold on, hold on, let's let's talk this out. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know who he is because he just kind of shows up and he's like, yo, what up? I'm here for business. Um, but then he mentions he's part of the Red Branch. And they're like, the Red Branch is extreme elite elitists, basically, magic users. There can only be 12 of them at a time, I think. Sounds like, like nine a- or 12. Like, like a number. <laughs> yeah. Something that, yeah, but and even though he's technically like high school age, he becomes part of this. He's just that good. Yeah. Yeah, he literally even goes through a point of like teaching the other Red Branch members yeah. <laughs> like how to fight. I remember. Um anyway, where I was going that he mentions he's like part of the Red Branch and there's like there's no flipping way. Don't don't pull our legs. You're way too young for that. And he's like, fools, I've got the tattoo on my arm to show it. <laughs> and they're like, oh, fetch, this is Mac Mc- Max McDaniels. <laughs> don't, oh! don't kill us all, please. Yes. <laughs> they freak out super hard. Uh, that's a, just a scene I very much enjoyed. Especially because yeah. those vies, those vies are chill. They're chill. I don't remember their names, but it's always I like them as characters. When the protagonist is so brutal that they become the antagonist and we actually get to see that like these people are like terrified of them it's kind of cool and then there's like another point where they just bring him to an entirely different no they don't bring him i think he goes to an entirely different like colony of vise (laughs) and like you can tell the tension is super high among all the vise and he's just there chilling like (laughs) <laughs> I'm not gonna do anything <laughs> but yeah I just really wanted to talk about it I don't even know where I was going with this I just I love the series for about, what it offered me talking about things you like but yeah you, you all should read it if for nothing but the Celtic mythology uh, introduction and I guess a little bit of yeah it's cool exploration mythology is awesome yeah so much fun so good i also like how elias bram dies (laughs) i like that he dies that's what i mean (laughs) that man everybody recognizes that man is a (laughs) dirtbag he sucks (laughs) he sucks he's he's hyped up throughout the whole series as this absolute legendary wizard person he is powerful yeah he's (laughs) I mean, he's David's grandfather, and David, you've, throughout the series, find out is really, really powerful in the magic way, not like Max. He's actually physically kind of pathetic. Um, But, so his grandfather is like, the crap. (laughs) Yeah. Also just But also, he's like, (laughs) practically sociopathic. Yeah. Almost tricked me into thinking it's a good series I should read again. <laughs> but yeah, these are also recommendations for everyone. Mm-hmm. Read books, read these ones. Let yeah. us know what you like on the we have no contact information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All honestly, right. I'm sure there's much more about tapestry that i actually do like i just can't think of the details because it's been so long um i'm just gonna say this there are pronunciation guides in the back for all the celtic names you're not gonna remember them anyway don't bother just pronounce it however you pronounce it in your head and move on and don't pretend you're an expert on it after (laughs) the only one i can remember the entire time was kuholan gay bolga that that was the Name of the weapon. (laughs) I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but that's how it looks. (laughs) I believe it. Nice. Well, do we want to do a third book? I don't think it Uh, will take quite as long as my last one. Perhaps. Make it quick. (laughs) A third book, I mean three books. It's a trilogy. 
Let's do Leviathan. Uh, uh, Leviathan okay. trilogy. Just keep in mind, I drank all this in one. Yeah. <laughs> in like... Don't worry, I'll, I got this. So this is another one we've... This is the one we've both read all of. Um, it's definitely my favorite. I'm. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. But you only read it once. I've read it like four or five really? times. Really? I own it. So oh, okay. I own all the books. I'm just going to say right off the bat, this is a writing podcast, but I want to say the art in this book is beyond amazing. I even know the artist's name. It's Keith Thompson. You can look up Keith Thompson. He does other art, similar stuff. So good. Second yeah, off, it's, it's not like a picture book. It's just yeah, one of those books that occasionally has, you know, an illustration of a cool moment. Yeah. And freaking worth it. Yes, and this book has things worth illustrating. It is a historical uh, fiction, very much fictional, about World War One, and it's retold in like a steampunk style, where the um, allies, the were they allies in Axis in World War One too? I don't know. <laughs> we'll just say British aligned forces, right? It's not even that. It's Britain and France and Russia. So all these were, they, they were allies in World War One. They're all, um, they're called Darwinists in the book. And they've kind of like gene hacked like a ton. And they've, they can start creating these like hybrid chimera monsters, right? So they have giant bears that are basically their tanks, right? And they have these giant... That's why it's called Leviathan. Yeah. They have these giant saber-toothed tigers they fight with and, like, giant elephants that they use to carry cargo. And what the isn't main story like, point is... Sorry, isn't there, um, like, the blimp or whatever? Like a freaking yeah. whale or something? Yeah, so the titular leviathan is the name of one of the most famous british airships not from actual history but in the story it's called the leviathan and it's just a giant whale full of helium and hydrogen gas they're like it breathes it right and so they all the crew crew members and stuff just live as like parasites on this giant whale it's like a blimp kind of deal and as opposed to like the Germans and the Austrians and the Ottomans and some of these other European countries that fought on the other side are what are called um, clankers, which I, this is Star Wars. Clanker. Thing. Now that I'm thinking about it, which is <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. I always thought about it. But they're like machinists, right? They build like walking, like six-legged walking machines, like big gun decks and these two-legged monstrosities and they're very much like they build these giant machines so these are all things that you can see very good drawings of and they're so cool <laughs> anyway they've got mechs in world war one yeah. so this is the first thing i really like is a steampunk is awesome world war one is interesting and it's a really good historical retelling it's not like you're not going to be getting lots of historical information it is a fictional story you kind of get a sense for the setting. Um, I know a little bit about World War One, and I think that the author did a good job kind of contextualizing the time. And, like, they did a pretty decent job with the politics. But at the end of the day, it's not really about the war in so much as the war affects our protagonists as they go through their journey. Yeah. We're here for the sci-fi element really yeah so fun fact i liked it but i've never been a fan of steampunk really i've never liked that aesthetic or That's anything at all crazy to me i love it so much <laughs> it's so cool anyway um we'll get into a little bit of story because there are things i like um mostly i like darren a lot yeah. <laughs> she's great so there's Darren Sharp, she's British, and she's wants to serve in the arm she wants to serve in the Air Force, like her older brother. She's like a tomboy. But obviously, you know, women can't serve in the army, so she pretends she's a man, right? Does all the stuff and like cuts her hair short, uh, lowers her voice. Yeah, Matt. And she gets caught by this um other lady is 
early in the book, but then um, her, it's Doctor Barlow. If you remember her, she's a, a pretty important figure. She's like one of these head Darwinist scientists that makes these creations, and she's kind of not. She's like really smart, but she's trying to advocate for peace. So she makes the little lorises, the little talking cat thingies. Wow, I must have forgotten a lot about this. <laughs> they're adorable, and they're so funny. They're like little parrot things. They're like parrot words you say. And they're intended to be like gifts, right? So she's on like a diplomatic mission, and she catches Darren out, who goes by Dylan. It's like her boy name. She's like, oh, you're not... You're not 16 or 18 or however old they had to be, are you? That's why your voice is so high and you never have to shave. And she's like, you got me, doctor. Please don't tell the captain. And she's like, oh, I've seen some young boys, sir, before. It's really noble of you. <laughs> she's like, whew. And then the other character is um, the son of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who... Fun fact, not a real person. I don't think he had any children. But in this story, he did. So this kid's parents get murdered immediately. For a second, I thought you said the Duke wasn't a real person. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> Duke was a real person. He's, he's kind of important not... to the whole world war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So his the story starts with him, and he has to escape in the middle of the night because his parents both got murdered. And... That makes him next in line, right? There's a lot of um, conspiracies that the Germans had the Duke murdered to start the war. And in this universe, that's true. And there's also conspiracies that, like, the... What's the family name? The Royal Austrian Family. It starts with an H. Man. I don't I, know. I'm I not totally a knew. Buff. I totally knew this, like, five minutes ago. Anyway... Um, there's theories that, like, they got him killed because they didn't like how he would, like, was a more progressive person, right? Which is, you know, progressive in air quotes because he's still, like, a monarch. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't like his politics and they didn't want him to be the next emperor of Austria. So anyway, he's pretty interesting. Um, they meet up, um, they go... Like, the loyal people to this kid, his name is Alec, they go and hide him away in Switzerland. They have to, like, sneak out and pretend to be peasants, and Alec's learning all this stuff about the world. And he's, like, gaining a lot of practical life experience that he didn't get being a prince. And, um, they hide out in Switzerland, the Leviathan's flying, um, Dylan, Darren's still pretty new. They get shot down by German fighter planes and they meet up with Alec and um, the people like trying to help them out. They don't like the British, obviously, but they're like, well, the Germans will kill us also. So I guess we kind of have to go and be like their pseudo prisoners. So then they kind of get forced together and they're kind of journeying along and Alec and uh dylan get to know each other better and they kind of become friends although it's kind of strained because you know one of them's a prisoner (laughs) and also a prince (laughs) and the other one's pretending to be a soldier an imposter but they have you know i like their friendship a lot they're like funny together and they kind of get along and alec is kind of jealous like he some he admits he's like i wish kind of i could just be a common soldier and i didn't have all this responsibility because he's still a kid he thinks soldiers are cool and stuff and then they just have more shenanigans they see more spots <laughs> shenanigans i should call war shenanigans <laughs> War shenanigans. <laughs> they go to the ottoman empire because um they're still neutral at this point in the war and like the germans are there trying to give gifts to the Solomon the leader i don't know if that's what he's called anyway and dr barlow gives her gifts and they get like crushed in front of her and like the germans are already like in the system right (laughs) they're already like it's kind of too late they've already kind of made this shadow deal that's not official yet so then they kind of fight in that country there's like 
a revolution going on because not everybody likes the Germans and not everybody wants to join the war. So there's really interesting political tension going on that feels realistic because, you know, it's historical fiction. He's got real life to pull from. And I don't know if I ever mentioned who wrote the book. I did mention the artist, but it's a Scott Westerfeld. He's also written some other things that are pretty popular. This series is slept on, though, because it's way better than that stuff. Anyway. I don't know what else is written. Anyway. That's the second book stuff. Um, they meet some fun, like, revolutionaries, and they join them. And Alex, like, really dedicated to it. Like, he finally found, like, he can actually do something. And they kind of leave, because Darren's like, I don't want to be here. Like, I have to go back. And he's kind of like, well, I guess I'll go back with you. And then they, in the third book, I think the third one's the worst, but they meet Nikola Tesla, mm -hmm. and he's going to make them like a super weapon, right? And they go to America, who's still neutral at this point, and America is like a blend. So is the Ottoman Empire. They're like a blend of machine and like this clankers and Darwinist. They have like a blend of the two, which is really also really cool, and you get to see pictures of it. They meet like... I don't. I want to say Pancho Villa, but I don't know if that's the right um, Mexican revolutionary. They meet him too. I don't know. They meet lots of cool historical figures. Like I'm just realizing now how many they meet. But I'm kind of speed running this book, the plot, which I'm realizing now isn't really gonna serve me for the part I like. Is I don't know what it is. <laughs> we already talked about how I don't like romance in books but i like theirs <laughs> i like they there's like a big fallout in this book when alec finally finds out uh that darren darren's is a girl, a girl. <laughs> i do remember and, that part yeah and there's i haven't even mentioned him but there's a count i can't remember his name but he's like the main caretaker for alec he's like more royalty right so he's in charge and then there's like enlisted men that are also loyal to help out and they're good too but the count's like the important one and he's the one who finds out first so he's been like blackmailing darren for a long time to get like extra information and extra privileges within the ship to like hope they can escape kind of so she's been being manipulated and like all stressed out and she figures i should just tell him at this point because like they're such good friends and she's feeling really guilty about it and he's like, whoa, that's not okay. That's crazy. But then he, I really like what? that he gets over it pretty quickly. Didn't he figure it out? He, um, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I was going to say, I remember this distinct moment where he like tests her and just calls her Darren out of nowhere. Yep. And she yep. doesn't even bat an eye. She doesn't realize it until he leaves. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of the other part, the kiss. That's a good one, too. I don't like dramatic kisses, as you probably could tell, but I like this one, so maybe I do. It's I don't like dramatic kisses in romance in the same way you don't like overpowered protagonists. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe I do at the end of the day. But I like their relationship a lot, and that's really at the heart of the story. It's about them and like their friendship in the first two books. Like They don't even consider romance like i remember early in the first book darren's like this guy's like pretty cute but like obviously i'm not gonna do anything with that because i'm pretending to be a boy and a soldier so like that would be weird and you know alex obviously isn't thinking about it all at all because you know <laughs> for reasons <laughs> so it's like they're just friends for a long time and they have time to become such good friends and they trust each other so much and they care about each other so much and it just feels like a natural progression and you know it's a nice heartwarming ending after Tesla like, explodes yeah I was like after he gets freaking yeeted he's kind of a tool in the book <laughs> and his giant laser explodes and it's the new Lusitania, right? That's how America got into the war. The Germans sank a ship with Americans on it. In this version, um, it's because the Germans try and attack this 
super weapon on American soil before I can do anything. So that's like kind of the end of the book because it's when America comes in. And like the Germans And then everybody already, knows that's yeah. when the war ends. <laughs> America war came ends. in. Game yeah. said I mean, match. I mean in World War One it I'm was pretty much over at that point when America joined. I, we weren't in it for very long. Hmm, I wonder what <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I'm too patriotic. <laughs> I mean yeah, like you're losing and then the global superpower joins on the other side. Like you're like I we just cut our losses. We were already losing now we're definitely losing (laughs) so it just kind of makes sense but yeah good historical fiction amazing illustrations um slow burn not even slow burn romance like the romance part's really fast but it doesn't feel fast because you know these characters already have chemistry yep yep and it just you know history is fun and steampunk is fun I agree to disagree, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's all I've got to say. That's the book club for today. That's the book club for today. We were planning on four, but obviously we definitely underestimated our <laughs> tangent abilities. <laughs> yep. You'll have to do two next time. Yeah, yeah two sure, this time. whatever. Yeah. Anyway, right. you do the outro. <laughs> um... Okay, um, I'm Phoenix. He's Flamingo. Uh, forgive me while I turn around to look at where the thing is. Um, you can find us at non-existent at Twitter, Facebook, and... Uh, we'll make an email eventually. Eventually. Uh, don't look too forward to it, though. 